So I don't know if y'all have seen these. Uh, my, my son's buddy had a birthday recently, and they're, uh, they're called the Bunch of Balloons. Have you seen these? These like instant fill water balloons? Here's a hot take for you. This is one of the pinnacle inventions in human history. If you haven't messed with these, man, I recommend them highly because as a youth pastor for a long time, I have spent a significant percentage of my life filling up water balloons. And then after about three hours of filling them up, they're done in what, 40 seconds? Something like that. You ever have these things that build up a lot and then it's like, oh, well, that went quick. In 1993, Gerald McClellan defeated Jay Bell in the world's shortest title fight ever. It was 20 seconds long. The solar eclipse of 2017, you remember that? Missouri had a front seat for it, was a huge deal for all 160 seconds. And I don't mind telling you, I consider myself a bit of a fireworks connoisseur. And so I did a little research online. I wanted to show you the Black Cat Caribbean Palms. This bad boy cost $89 and it lasts 30 seconds. Now you might ask yourself, what kind of person would buy one of those things? Well, after I, after I saw it online, I went into my garage and realized I already already bought it. So I've never put explosives in a church before. I'm not quite, I know they don't go on the altar. I wasn't sure where to put them. So I'm going to put them back over here for safekeeping. Then, so, you know, you buy these fireworks, you get the water balloons going, you see the solar eclipse, big buildup, you pay the pay-per-view for the boxing match, and then, well, what now? Well, the same thing can happen in our faith, friends. Maybe it was when you were a child or you had a church camp experience or you were part of a worship service where where you felt moved to make a decision to put your faith in Christ. If you haven't made that decision yet, that's okay. We got folks all over the spectrum as a part of our church. But a lot of times, those decisions of faith are accompanied maybe by some tears, some hugs, Uh, Hopefully a baptism follows. Pastor Mitch talked a little bit about that earlier. And I love all of that. That's why I became a pastor, is to be a part of that process. But too often, after somebody says yes to Jesus, it's like, well, now what? See, as as leaders in the church, we we fall to the temptation of putting the emphasis where it doesn't belong. Because when we stress decisions of faith over discipleship, what happens is people think that saying yes to Jesus is the finish line when it's really the starting line. Today we're going to be investigating what Methodist founder John Wesley called the scriptural way of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What are we saved from? What are we saved for? So with the the words save in mind, uh, what I hope we'll discover as we study God's word together is that we're saved by Jesus through faith and then our salvation begins now. In this series called Hot Takes, we're looking at some of the theology. That's simply a word that means what we believe about God, the things we think about God. What's some of the theology that makes Methodism distinct? A hot take is an opinion that can be controversial. And we had folks share their hot takes with us on our Facebook page uh, last week. Got a lot of food takes. And so I wanted to share some of these with you. Uh, Sarah said that the only place mayonnaise belongs is in the trash. That was her hot take. Uh, uh, Other food takes included that watermelon is overrated. 
I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, the beets taste like dirt no matter how you prepare them. Uh, and my, my man Gary came strong with gravy is a condiment. <laughs> gravy is a condiment. Now too much of a condiment, gravy becomes a blood type. That's not what you wanna do. Uh, but the hottest take I saw this week, I could not believe it. My buddy Brad, Captain Introvert said, I like Zoom meetings. What a monster! Well, that's like surface of the sun hot take. What kind of person actually likes Zoom meetings? I don't understand it. In John Wesley's day, some of his sermons were actually quite controversial. And, and even today, faithful Christians can believe very differently on lots of things. So every week, I want to tell you, in these three weeks of, that we're doing hot takes, this message, this series, is not about why Methodism is the best and other denominations are dumb. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. It's about lifting up the things that make Methodism what it is. And for Wesley, being saved wasn't just limited to something that would happen when we die. Salvation was also something we could be experiencing now. The way Wesley lays out how grace works, the, the thing we're gonna look at today is to me one of the most compelling things about Methodism. It's easy enough for a child to understand and yet profound enough for us to live into as adults. So Wesley laid out his views in a sermon called The Scripture Way of Salvation and that was the inspiration for this message today. Our scripture today comes from Paul. He's one of the key figures in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. Paul uh, would uh, write letters to Christians in different cities around the world, often in communities of faith that he helped found. And so the letter of Ephesians was uh, written to Christians living in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus uh, is in modern day Turkey. And Paul wrote to these folks probably around 60 or 61 AD. He says in chapter two, starting in verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So we are saved through Christ, not Buddha, not Oprah, not by trying to live our best life, not by trying to be a good person. It's because of God's grace, God's great love for us, which was revealed in the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus that were saved. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that there's one God and one mediator between man and God, or God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So while our transgressions, our sinful state, separate us from a holy God, we are made alive with Christ and have been saved. And the term for saved that Paul used here is the Greek word sesamonoi. And we can think of that as being delivered or rescued. It's like Jesus has rescued us from being dead in sin. Now, all throughout uh, high school and college, like diagramming sentences, parts of speech, a uh, big challenge for me. And that's in English, much less Spanish or Greek or Hebrew that I took in seminary. So if this stuff isn't your cup of tea, it's all right. But that's why we, we learn together. So in the Greek here, the tense that of, of the verb Paul used is the perfect tense. We have been saved. An action that occurred in the past, but which produced a state of being or a result that exists in the present. I love that. The perfect tense of sesamonoi. Never thought you'd be uh, so excited to hear a Greek part of speech, right? But it's it's this, this concept that because of what Jesus did in the past, 
It produces a state that we can experience in the present, not just in the future, not just someday down the road, but now. For Wesley, being saved was not just an event that would happen in the future, like after you die, but it could be experienced presently. So what does being saved mean? Saved from what? Saved for what? This is what Wesley said. The salvation which is here spoken of in Ephesians 2 is not what is frequently understood by that word, the going to heaven, eternal happiness. It is not a blessing which lies on the other side of death or as we usually speak in the other world. It is not something at a distance. It is a present thing, a blessing which through the free mercy of God you are now in possession of. You have been saved so that the salvation which is here spoken of might be extended to the entire work of God from the first dawning of grace in the soul till it is consummated in glory. Woo! So to Wesley, it's, salvation is something that begins now and is completed in glory in heaven. So how is it that we attain this salvation? Not just after death, later, but what about now? Paul says it in verse five, it's by grace you have been saved. And he elaborates on this in verse eight. And this is, Ephesians 2.8 is like a hall of fame Bible verse. For it is by grace you have been saved. There it is again, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Before any of us were born, Christ's work was done. Before any of us had an idea of, of what our name was, before we could walk, before we can know the first thing about God, the gift of Christ had already been offered. This is an example of what Wesley called preventing grace, uh, that God is at work in our lives before we're even aware of it. He said all the drawings of the Father, all the little ways that God is drawing you closer, the desires after God, all the convictions which his spirit from time to time works in every child of man. Preventing, or in modern language, prevenient grace is grace that goes before. It's the grace of God at work in our lives before we even know who God is. Last week, we talked about God offering free grace to all, that that was a radical concept in some people's minds. And all this begins with prevenient grace. So it's not by works. It's not something we earn before it's offered. Elsewhere, the Bible says, we love because God first loved us. This is one of the hallmarks of Wesleyan theology. Here's the hot take. The Christian life is lived as a response to God's love that is already offered. It's not lived as a requirement before you can be loved by God. That's a small but very significant distinction. That the Christian life is lived out as a response to God's grace, not as a requirement before you can receive it. So we respond to God at work in our lives through placing our faith in Jesus. John 20 says, this was the whole point of the gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's then we experience being made alive in Christ, to use Paul words, Paul's words from Ephesians 2. So this is what a lot of people might refer to as getting saved, being saved. This is, this is the decision of faith that you make. And what Wesley would call this is receiving God's justifying grace. So we had provenient grace, now we've got justifying grace. He said justification is another word for pardon. It's the forgiveness of all our sins and what is necessarily implied therein, our acceptance with God. And it's at this point, too often we make the mistake of stopping. Like we're done. I've accepted the gift, I've been justified, my sins are forgiven, 
I have taken hold of salvation. The fireworks have gone off. The water balloons have all been tossed. Fight's over. Now what? Paul continues, for we are God's handiwork in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love the New Living Translation, how it puts it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Justifying grace, accepting Jesus, saying yes is the starting line. It ain't the finish line. The work of Christ is completed, but our work is just beginning. And again, not that work is required to receive God's grace. Remember, it's not by works so that no one can boast. But these are good works done out of response to the great love God has already shown us. Salvation is something that begins now, and we can continue to be formed into the masterpiece that God has planned for us to be long in advance. And this is what Wesley calls sanctifying grace. From the time of our being born again, from our getting saved, from saying yes to Jesus, from accepting justifying grace, that takes place in an instant. But sanctification takes place gradually. Right? Justification takes place in a moment. We read this in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But sanctification takes place in degrees as we are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. In another sermon, Wesley distinguished justifying and sanctifying grace. Justifying grace is, is something God does for us. Sanctifying grace is something God does in us. Justifying grace takes us from being enemies of God to children of God. Sanctifying grace takes us from being sinners to becoming saints. I love this. Justifying grace takes away the guilt of sin. Sanctifying grace takes away the power of sin. And so with these three things in mind, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace, I want to revisit the scripture we looked at last week from Romans chapter 8. We read, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So if you missed that last week, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, we solved predestination in 21 minutes. It was really something quite remarkable. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I hope you can see the hot take that God calls everyone. Let's put that scripture back up there, uh, my friend. That God calls everybody. And then those who respond to the call, God justifies, pardoning them. And then those who are justified, who are seen as blameless, pardoned, they also become glorified, gradually changing into the person that God has designed them to be. Having been pardoned, we are glorified in fullness later, but the Spirit works within us now so that God's will can be done for us on earth as it is in heaven. So the scriptural way of salvation is that we're saved by Jesus through faith and that our salvation begins now. This happens through God's prevenient, sanctifying, and justifying grace. Now, back at the beginning of the year, we, we touched on some of this in a sermon, and I worked super hard on some killer graphics to illustrate this great truth of faith. Eddie, hit me with the graphic. Bam! <laughs> so, God is at work in our lives before we know it through prevenient grace. 
we, come, we become aware of our great need for God and of God's great love for us. And then at some point, it's like we've crossed a line that we are justified and saved through faith. So it's like there's a line in the middle of justifying grace. And then the rest of the journey happens like this. See, after we cross that line, my dad used to like to say this, it's like we hug it as close as we can without going back over. Lord, I wanna be a Christian, but just barely. Right? I wanna get the perks, I don't wanna change. But that's not the finish line, friends, that's the starting line. We don't wanna go back over, but it's not God's intent for us to remain there. But the other mistake we make, of, besides thinking justifying grace is the finish line, is that the, the journey of sanctification is smooth sailing up and to the right. Well, I don't know how you've experienced this in your life, but I've found that there's a lot more ups and downs. And that this sanctifying grace, this gradual transformation, this glorification into the masterpiece God has created us to be, doesn't always go great. If that all happens for you in a straight line, please tell me after and you can preach next week. <laughs> like, I'd love for you to do that. Friends, it's a journey of ups and downs. I had an opportunity for a pretty sweet photo op uh, earlier this month. Uh, on the left here is my stepmom, Marianne, and on the right is my mom, Karen. And uh, this is not only proof that I do own a suit, uh, but <laughs> it's not the only reason I want to show it to you. But uh, this, was at, taken, this was taken at our yearly Methodist conference. Um, this photo really, to me, we'll leave this up here for a minute, Eddie, kind of represents the journey of sanctification for a few reasons. I've spoken before about uh, my parents' divorce. You know, I try not to go to that well all the time, but pretty significant event in my life. Uh, I don't like to air my family's dirty laundry, but um, if you would have shown me this picture when I was 17 years old, I wouldn't have believed you that it would have been possible. Um, that, that out of that pain could come reconciliation, uh, that, that that event would, would bring another wonderful person into my life, Mary Ann, that we would all coexist, not just forcibly, but happily, uh, that there could be joy available to our family. And uh, the other thing is, this, this picture was taken. Marianne came into town in Springfield uh, because we were at a memorial breakfast to honor the pastors who had passed away in 2020 and 2021. So the other thing about this picture that I don't think I would have believed when I was 17 is that you, if you would have told me that on a morning uh, where we're remembering uh, people's passings, including my own dad, that we could be smiling All of these are only possible because of God's great love. And I don't just like to talk about my parents' divorce or my dad's death. I'm trying not to make that like my greatest hits, okay? But those are two pretty major events in my life and I've seen God work in the midst of them. So this to me is sanctification. That hope is possible, that real change is possible. The work of God has been completed in Christ but the spirit is still at work within us. This is sanctification. And, and, and so I don't know what this means in your life. I, I just picked a kind of random sampling of some of my favorite things I struggle with, uh, things of a sinful nature. I got another high-tech chart, high chart for you. I don't know if anybody else struggles with being petty. You know, you kind of 
make a little mental note of people that slight you somehow. None of you, of course, ever do that. Uh, and so we have, we have this proclivity to being petty. God's word says that love keeps no record of wrongs. I could do a 12-week sermon on trying to keep no record of wrongs. That's sanctification. Releasing that pettiness and not keeping a record of wrongs. Or, or worry. I, I think we all have several excellent reasons to be worried about lots of different things. I don't know what you brought in here. But I know that for a lot of us, worry is a constant thing. God's word promises that we can experience a peace that passes understanding. That doesn't make sense on paper. The peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians tells us. That's sanctification. That's, that's not just a, a thought in your mind that someday you'll go to heaven, but it's a real inward and outward change. Anybody else good at holding the grudge? This is rhetorical, of course. You don't need to raise your hands. Anybody else good at mm-hmm. I wish I wish brooding were listed as a spiritual gift in the Bible because I would be like the professional brooder. Holding the grudge. The book of Hebrew tells us, see to it that no one misses out on God's grace, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and thus contaminates many. Sanctification is God's grace allowing you, enabling you to begin to release your grip on those grudges. And I'm not suggesting that if you're grieving, it's sinful. Please hear me. But I love how Thessalonians puts it. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So even in the midst of our grief, sanctification, the slow allowance of God continuing to mold and shape your life can give you hope even in the midst of grief. Thanks be to God for the gift of Jesus Christ by whom we are saved by faith. I don't know where you find yourself on this spiritual spectrum, somewhere before or after that line of faith. Maybe you're in a season of ups or downs in your journey. But I do know salvation can be ours today. Not just for life later, but for life now. Friends, the decision is a starting point, not the finish line. Being a lifelong disciple of Jesus Christ is our goal until we are in glory with him. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to be together. Thank you for... uh, your word that gives us real hope in the time of our real need. God, wherever we find ourselves in our journey with you, help us to cling to you. Help us to never uh, be forgetful of how you've worked in our lives and continue to guide us and shape us into that masterpiece, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others, to do good works so that we could be a picture of the abundant life that you offer and that folks would see in us your great love. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.